Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Tesla, maybe the most talked about American manufacturer slash tech company slash paradigm disruptor. The stock, like its CEO, is volatile. Tesla drivers are maniacal in their devotion to their zippy electric vehicles, as are the many Tesla skeptics on Wall Street who believe the company is overvalued and incapable of making a sustainable profit. This week, we wonk out on all things Tesla with a skeptical money manager who's gone zero to 60 ludicrous mode for his new Model 3. This will be fun. Stay with us. Mark your calendars. Sunday, November 10th at the National in downtown Richmond. Full Disclosure presents Not a Surf, one of my very favorite bands, on their 25 years of meteoric success, getting abandoned by their record label, and how they hustled to win back their name and reinvent on their own terms. Hear the stories, then hear the music. A full interview for Full Disclosure, then a full concert by Not a Surf. And we'll be filming it all for a documentary pilot. Is it any coincidence that it's in November? After all, I'm offering up a turducken of content. Avoid most fees by getting your tickets at the box office. Sunday, November 10th. Full disclosure with Not a Surf at the National. Joining us from Denver, it's a pleasure to have him, is Vitaly Katzenelson. He is CEO of IMA. It's a value investing shop. He is uh, quite well written. You've seen his bylines in Fortune on Market Watch. He's written several books on value investing. Forbes magazine called you the new Benjamin Graham, who's like the godfather of value investing, even before Warren Buffett. And it is uh, wonderful to have you on, sir. Robin, it's my pleasure. I'm a big fan. Well, this is the fascinating thing to me. I'd love to get in the mind of a Wall Street skeptic. And you were skeptical on Tesla, as many value investors on Wall Street were. You wrote last year, Uninvestable Tesla. Uh, you were a person who, in you know, way back in 2015, put down a $1,000 deposit for a Model 3, this newfangled, disruptive Tesla sedan. You thought about the period ahead. They kind of reneged on the original idea. There was a creep in the price. And then you took your deposit back. And then next thing I notice on you and the Tesla story is you finally get it in the summer of 2019. And it changes your life and perspective so much, this Model 3, that you bang out a 31-page treatise on the Tesla disruption. Do I have that right? That's absolutely true. I, uh, it's, you know, I, Like most people, when they buy a car, they enjoy driving it, and which I did, I plenty. But most people don't write an article you know, of 30-something pages for a month. Yes, so I, I did that. So let's provide the background on Tesla. It is intensely talked about in this stock market. It's, yes. it's worth about $39 billion. Its CEO, Elon Musk, he's a polarizing figure, but he's looked at as kind of the second coming of Steve Jobs, master disruptor. He's a person who asks for forgiveness and not for permission. He wants to go to Mars. He's uh, you know, offering to rescue kids <laughs> across the planet. He gets in fights on Twitter. He is both looked at as an enormous visionary and asset and as a liability in that he ran afoul of the SEC for claiming that he had enough to take Tesla 
shares private at maybe $400 a share. The stock is now at $215 as we record this. That's good for a $39 billion market cap, which is an enormous automaker for a company that's been around for a little over a decade. But it's well off of its year high of almost $380. And this is a company swimming in red ink. I mean, it's selling a ton of these sedans. It is by far the biggest seller domestically or foreign of electric vehicles, it's a nascent market, but it loses money hand over fist. So a lot of people at Wall Street stop at that, that they say that this is just a stock for fanboys. But it opened up a whole new set of perspectives for you. Start for me with the first aha when you became a Tesla car owner. So the reason I bought a car, so the when so as you mentioned originally when I was going to buy a car, the price ended up being more expensive, and uh, my store in Denver did not even have a Tesla for me to test drive. So I just took my buy- took my money back and said, "I'm not going to write a check for sixty thousand dollars without you know test driving a car." Then, you know, fast forward the year, they dropped their prices, and I was able actually to test drive the car, and I was blown away how great the car is. So I, it's a and one thing I realized. It is it is a car in the sense that yeah you know, there are four wheels and it gets you to places, but it's a very different um, product than uh, you know what we would call an uh, internal combustion engine car like ICE car. It's it's really you know what, what Tesla what Model Three really is. It's a iPad on wheels, and uh, it's a very important distinction to make because and you know we'll get into this, but one thing I realized it's it's basically in the category of its own. And uh, and also as you know as a, you know as I kind of as I went through as a Tesla owner, as I you know I basically went through uh, and installed a you know a, a charger in my garage, and uh, and I started to think okay well what if I travel far and how is that going to work with the uh, you know charging etc. As I, as I went through all this ordeal, I, I discovered that actually. All these concerns that people have electric cars—they're actually not as big as you know as they seem to be. You know, as, 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 as you know, as we tend to think about them at first. So here's the deal: you, it did curb your enthusiasm because when you realized like you were an unsecured creditor to Tesla, you gave them a thousand dollars, and they didn't quite deliver on this idea of you know. I remember the holy grail: if you could make a thirty-five thousand dollar EV sedan, there'd be modest range of around two hundred and twenty to two hundred and fifty miles. That would be kind of you know, Henry Ford Model T disruptive. That would start to cut into Toyota Camry sales, Honda Accord sales. People would really start thinking twice, like, okay, am I going to put up with the incremental inconvenience of range anxiety and having to charge this car for kind of being able to take the quantum leap? And in your essay, you talk about smartphones. There was a period in 2007 and 2008 when we were ready to trade our you know, take the leap, trade the BlackBerry Pearl or trade the <laughs> Motorola Razor or the Nokia phone for this newfangled iPhone, which was essentially a laptop in your palm. So I'm not convinced that we are at that tipping point with a vehicle that, as of now, it's pretty much cost close to $45,000, $50,000 out the door, and it has 250 miles of driving range? All right. Let's, let, let, let me tell you what I bought. For, so for $51,000, I bought a four-wheel drive car. That is a fully loaded, that you know, kind of the the you know, the, you know basically bought the most expensive car I could have bought. Except if I bought a performance car, uh, then I would pay maybe another seven thousand dollars more. But I didn't buy a performance car. But I basically I bought a four-wheel drive, full-loaded car, 
and I got $9,000 from Uncle Sam. So my total net cost out of pocket was about, you know, it's going to be about $42,000. $42,000. So the taxpayer subsidized you to the tune of $9,000. Yes, Robin, thank you for that, by the way. Yes. Uh, Yes, you subsidized me. Uh, No, that's right. (laughs) Uh, And so... So that's point number one. Um, point number two, when you t- when you drive the car, what you what you realize that this is a car that goes from uh, zero to sixty in four point two seconds or four point four seconds. You know, most people say so what, but but what happens? So the the difference between an electric car and a like a traditional ICE car, the internal combustion engine car, is that in ICE car, uh, number one. The most important part is the engine. The engine has 5,000 parts. In the electric car, in Tesla, uh, the, the engine is actually the least important part. Actually, the most, the most important part in Tesla is the, is the battery. So in, um, if you have an engine, you know, the engine weighs, you know, I don't know, you know 1,500 pounds. I don't know how much. You know, it's very, the engine is very heavy. It has to sit. It has to basically sit in front of the car. Uh, and if you want to turn, uh, if you want to turn uh, ICE car into four-wheel drive, you 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 also need to now have a, a lot of pipes and metal things going from from the yeah, front of the car. Yeah, moving parts that required lubrication, high maintenance vehicle, many moving parts, a lot of friction. Not to mention the wiring, uh, combustibility, uh, and yes, the bottleneck, as you say, shifts to the battery. The battery is the most important component of the vehicle. Yes. But and you wrote, and let me let me excerpt for our readers. Kind of, this is kind of a breathless part of your thirty-one page treatise. I understand that you've since added six or seven more pages to it. That you 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 buzz around Denver and Colorado in this newfangled Model Three, and you come home and bang out <laughs> the, the, <laughs> new yeah, chapters that, of this. That's all I do now. Yes. Let me quote this. Uh, you say in your essay, which will be published forthcoming in, in maybe Market Watch or Fortune, I've owned the car, the Model 3, for a bit over a month, and so far it's the best car I've ever had. Just as with a slight benefit of hindsight, it is easy to see how smartphones, whether or not made by Apple, are the future of mobile phones. I can see that electric cars, which you you know are EVs, electric vehicles, are a tsunami that is coming. It's just hard to say yet when it will land on shore and wipe out replace the internal combustion engine, the ICE. But it's clearly a question of when, not if, close quote. And by the way, that is the same sentiment that my brother in Miami felt when he had a Prius beforehand and his friend got a Model 3 and he brought it around. I was there when he showed it to him. And then my brother went and finally made good on his deposit for the Model 3 and became, you know, as you say, they don't do any advertising, but the owners become evangelists for it. That's right. No, so I think the analogy, the analogy between uh, smartphone and dumb phones and uh, and uh, EV and IC cars is, very, you know, that's that's probably the key of the article. Okay, because yes, the your, your the car you're driving today is basically think about it as dumb phone because it's really a lot of hardware and very little software and very little IQ. Um, the electric car. It's it's a it's basically it's completely very it's a very different design, where all the thinking that goes into um, into ICE car is not really applicable very much. The thinking that a, goes into a traditional gasoline powered internal yes. combustion car, which yeah. has a benefit of a hundred plus hundred ten years of innovation and iteration. Exactly, in I, but I would argue that that benefit actually becomes a liability when you try to make uh, an electric car. 
because just like just like um, Nokia has struggled, Nokia used to be the keynote of, of, of cell phones, right? You remember that? They were the yeah, no, Nokia, of- BlackBerry, all of them. They were the kings, the, ki- the the former kings of the sector have completely struggled to put out what the iPhone did. I, I understand that analogy in it, but I think where the analogy might stop is that the extent of my range anxiety, if I was the purchaser of an iPhone in you know 2007 was the battery life. And so they kept chargers around every time. And it was, you know, electricity sockets are ubiquitous around the world. It's a different thing if you're going to make a forty to $50,000 plunge on mm-hmm. a vehicle. And on top of that, Vitaly, you're telling me that you have to buy the souped-up charger apparatus to, you know, to, to, to have faster charging in your house to kind of assuage the range anxiety. All right. So let's, let's start with this. So I paid the whole $650, and uh, you know, and, and Lexution basically brought a 220 outlet from my basement into my garage. That was it. And now my car is getting charged, basically getting charged 30 miles per hour. So the range of my car is 310 miles. Most people drive 30, 40 miles a day, and uh, so for them, 300 miles is more than enough. Okay, if you go on a long trip, you you're gonna you know Tesla has superchargers across the country. Yes, you're gonna have to make uh, you're gonna have to make an extra decision, and you're gonna have to figure out okay, what well, I'm going to as you're driving from Virginia to DC, where I'm gonna stop by and charge the car. But but you know I would argue that when when iPhone came out. Um, the uh, the battery life of a dumb phone Nokia was you know one week, and battery life of an iPhone was seven hours at the most, and people still were willing to put up with that, because it was so much superior product. To sum it up, so the charging really has not been an issue. In fact, I so don't miss a gas station, because I just you come just home. don't miss a gas station. I don't because I just come home. And just you know, plug it, plug in my car, and, and that's it. And I. So how long does it take to charge the whole thing? You're saying 30 miles per hour on the garage charger, which is 10 hours. If you if you completely empty yes. the battery. Yes. Yes. If I completely empty the battery, most people don't, and I never do. Uh, you know. Yes. And 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 when I when I when you travel, but uh, when you travel to like we traveled from Denver to Santa Fe, we stopped up, we stopped the Tesla supercharger. Tesla superchargers charge the car about 400, 500 miles an hour. Okay, so is that included? How much do you have to pay for a supercharger? So it's not like paying $40 at the gas station. Are you paying anything up front for a supercharger? Okay, yeah. So when I charge it, when I charge the car at home, I pay about $8 if I charge the whole car. When I, pay, when I charge the supercharger, Model 3 owners have to pay for it, and there you pay maybe $18. So if you, know, if you fully charge, I mean, when you... You know, when you put gas in your car, you probably would pay, you know, for 300 miles, probably about close to 30 dollars or 30, you know, or 40 dollars. So it's much cheaper than actually than uh, even even a supercharger. It's still cheaper than put gasoline in your car. So are you impressed when you guys made the drive from Denver to Santa yeah. Fe? And again, you only got this car a couple of months ago in June mm-hmm. of 2019. Um, what were the thoughts at the very outset? Was your wife saying, honey, let's take the other car. Let's not be too pretty with this. This isn't research. I don't want to be stopping and charging and worrying about the hotel. And, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, the Griswolds vacation all over again, going down, up and down the coast. But what, what, were, the, what were the hurdles that you found and kind of what happened in reality? So, in the, so actually, in that trip, my wife decided to stay home. So she would have said all those things you said, but she, you know, she didn't come to us with us. It was just me and my older kids. Um, it's actually was a non-event because 
uh, when you, you get in the car and you say, on the, on, there's a map on the big iPad, and you punch in that you want to go to Santa Fe, and it's 350 miles. And uh, then, the, you know, then uh, the, uh, the Tesla, the map app would say, well, you need to stop by, uh, you know, you need to stop by and here are the, uh, here are the charging st supercharging stations. You can stop by to, uh, uh, to, get, you know, to get electricity. And, and then basically what we found when it, when it tells you that it's a, the prediction how much, how much electricity you're gonna have left when you get there was precise down to like a mile. So it was, you know, that, you know, so the... This is a it, super smart car. You come in, and I was in my brother's Model 3. There's a massive iPad. I mean, there are no knobs or anything on it. Even to adjust the air conditioning, you're using, you know, haptic finger-like motions to increase or decrease the steam or, post, or push it that way. And this iPad, you know, you're putting in the address, the destination. You're telling me it will tell you to within a mile of when and where you're going to want to charge it. That's right. Yeah, so it's a when we so we, when we left uh, uh, when we left Salida, which was our stop in between uh, Denver and Santa Fe, it told us that it's you're gonna have hundred miles, you know, hundred miles of range left when you get to Santa Fe, and we had like ninety nine miles left or so close to it. Uh, so it's a so so you got that. In addition to that, you have a self driving element, which is really not self driving; it's an autopilot. It's a assisted driving, and you know, assisted driving, which which on the highway especially, you can kind of take your hands off the wheels and let it drive you. Yeah, so it, you you got to be very careful about this, and I and I want to warn people that this is really something you want to use uh, carefully only on a. Bright day, you know, the, the, it's very sunny outside. When you're on a highway and you have a clearly, you know, defined lanes, you know, kind of marking on the highway. In that circumstance today, it's very safe. If you try to do, if, you know, but uh, by the way, just you know, to be fair, when I try to self-driving, you know, to self-driving on, uh, on the road uh, that did not have, uh, that uh, had interruptions in the median, it almost, you know, it's basically almost put me in, almost, the car almost put me into the uh, incoming traffic. So it's Jeez. not, it's, it, yeah, so you, it's, this is not a fully cooked product yet. And I, so on the highway, it's absolutely fine uh, when you have very well defined, you know, lane markings. But uh, I would, you know, I would not use it, you know, I, and I'm not using it uh, just, you know, to drive it, you know, in the neighborhoods. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Vitaly Katzen-Nelson. He is the CEO of investment shop IMA out of Denver. It's a value investing shop. You've seen his byline in Fortune and in Market Watch. He bought his Tesla Model 3 uh, at the beginning of the summer, and now he's so wowed by it, but he's in the middle of a 30 to 40-page treatise, and I thought it was just an interesting way to look into the mind of a consumer and an investor. Vitaly, you remember Peter Lynch, the, the rock star fund manager at Fidelity in the early 90s. He was a big proponent of buying what you know. I mean, if you see something at that grocery store and you like it, buy that thing. And and we always are, are very cautious reading into these things. Like I told you the story of when I went to college, Princeton back in 1994, and I first tried Netscape. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to change the world. I, I logged on to Chrysler.com, Playboy.com, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a whole new universe. Then I call my dad and said, dad, you need to buy this stock the day of the IPO. I don't care how expensive it is, which is kind of like a sucker's bet, you know, that I know more than other people know that, that Wall Street might have been telling people about this coming down the pike for several months. So this, interestingly, to take it back to this thing, this gets into the head of a skeptical person. You were very skeptical of high-flying growth at any price 
stocks of the year such as Tesla, but you're completely taken away and breathless by the Tesla driving experience, and you're willing to tell us that it has left you ambivalent. Yeah. So the just to be you know just to be fair, um, when I sit down to write that essay, I'm not a neither Tesla bull nor bear. No, no, I don't own the stock of the company. So what I was trying to actually, I was more interested not just in Tesla, but the impact. EVs, you know, electronic electric vehicles will have on everything. And I was more, I was as a value investor, I was more interested also. What's you know, would the uh, General Motors and Fords of the world would they be able to transition to EVs? Because that's you know, as a value investor, these stocks often show up as cheap stocks. And uh, by the time I finished writing my essay, I. Now I'm basically thinking I'm not sure they will. You know, some of them will, some of them won't. And if we can go back to Nokia kind of iPhone analogy for a second, when iPhone came out, Nokia should have looked uh, at Apple, said, "Thank you, Apple, very much, because you showed us what the smartphone should look like," and they should have recreated iPhone. What Nokia did instead, they took their uh, operating system Symbian, which was an operating system that was created for dumb phone, and tried to basically kind of stretch it onto its dumb phones, or, or into its, you know, and, and they failed miserably. And the reason, for, the reason they failed because Nokia did not have the skill set that it needed to design an iPhone, uh, to, to design a, even though it was called a phone, it really was not a phone, right? It was really- Well, no, how are you gonna disrupt? Why do you say Nokia? Why aren't we even talking about the bigger thing and that Microsoft, you know, you go back to the example, completely whiffed on the smartphone. Microsoft, which had the cash cow, the operating system. I, I understand that when Bill Gates held the first uh, iPod, he said, this is curious, but why would anybody but a, but an Apple owner want to own it? Instead, you know, Apple went ahead and kept adding functionality to the iPod, 2002, 2003, 2004. Next thing you know, it turns into the iPhone, and then it's the computer, soon the, the laptop, the most common operating system that many people out there don't have a relationship with Windows. So this goes to a very important thing you said in the essay, like, how much were you willing to disrupt your cash cow? and hurt yourself and take a loss in the interest of self-preservation maybe 10 or 15 years down the line. That is brutally difficult for companies to do. No, that's exactly right. And, uh, and the, reason, the reason, so you, you, are, you were right about Microsoft. The reason, the reason I want to highlight Nokia, though, is it, this is why. Because you had also Samsung, Right, so Nokia. By the way, I think Microsoft bought Mo Microsoft in the end bought most of Nokia. They, 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 no, they, they did, and then they sold it, and then, and then they basically yeah. shut it down. No, but the, the, the key here is this: so the so some companies, you know, when when you had when Apple introduced iPhone, some companies have uh, basically disappeared, like Nokia did. Some companies were able to change, like Samsung did, and Samsung now is the biggest maker, one of the biggest makers of smartphones. Samsung so Apple, out of Korea, yeah. Yes, ex exactly. So the so when you look when you look at the um, when you look at the car market today, some car companies will be able to transition and some won't. And the question you are kind of asking, which companies and what does it take? So my argument would be, it's incredibly difficult to for a car company to transition to electric because, first of all, your you know your assets become your liabilities, because you you are stuck in the like in the. Um, in the uh, gasoline engine uh, thinking mentality, and electric car is a, is a, it's basically it's like a transition from horses to automobiles. Yeah, un the un unpack that actually. Take us under the hood because, as my brother was explaining, you know, when he picked me up at the airport, the front is a frunk. Where you would expect to see an engine is just a, a small little trunk in the front 
where you could put your bags in. You effectively have a bad. A lot of people out there might think that the huge lithium-ion battery, whatever the battery is, is replacing the gas tank, and it is still working with a, a you know the the skeleton of a combustion engine. Like you have the same belts, you have the same pistons, you need an oil change. Explain to us how different these are. Yeah, so the, the so electric car is basically if you look at it, it's a Tesla. You know, a Tesla car looks like a skate. You know, its bottom looks like a skateboard. You basically have two axles, and you have engines that are sitting on each axle. So if it's a two-wheel drive, you only have one engine. If if you want to make it a four-wheel drive, you don't add you know complex you know gears and things going from you know engine to the to the other axle. You just add add another engine. So it's a very different design, and actually the design itself is actually superior, safer in theory at least, to a gasoline car because what happens is that the in a traditional car you have an engine that sits up front. In a, in, IC, in, a, in Tesla, you have a, this empty space, what they call frunk, right? The reason the space is important, if you get in a front-end collision, you have a bumper that is, a, I don't know, there's five feet long, right? So you have this huge bumper that's going to absorb the impact. So that's, you know, that actually, the Tesla is actually safer uh, from a safety perspective, at least in this regard. Also, b because the battery is uh, sits very flat and it's evenly distributed at the bottom, the center of gravity of the car is lower, so these cars flip a lot less than uh, gasoline cars. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very different design. And as importantly, the software is a big part of Tesla. And this is very important to understand. Just like software was incredibly important for iPhone, it's incredibly important for Tesla as well. Because as, as you mentioned, you are, like my, my Tesla doesn't have a, almost has no knobs, and all the controls are basically on a big iPad. Uh, in addition to that, when you buy a GM car, that's the last time you had a, any kind of relationship with a GM, except when you have to service it. Every month or so, I get over-air updates for my car, and suddenly new features show it up. I'll, I'll tell you about the latest one. So the, uh, a, few, a few days ago, I got a new game that showed up on my I, no, on a Tesla installed a new game, and I, it's chess, Robin. And, uh, and actually, I played the you know, game of chess, and I think it's wonderful because I played it and I won, which never happens. So Wait, why uh, do you? I'm sorry, you're a skeptic. Why do you care about chess on your driver's console in your Tesla? Okay, so let me tell you why. So when you sit, when when you are sitting at the supercharger, and uh, you need to kill this 20 minutes, you can play chess. Uh, well, you can also play, you know. So, but that's that's beside the point. The point is this: so the the updates they give you, and uh, the um, if, uh, my friend told me, and this is you know this was before my time, but one day he woke up and uh, they had an update, and suddenly his seats, you know, his back seats now were heated. So they the were hardware, heated. Yeah. So they were the hardware was already installed, but the software push activated it. So the with, uh, with software updates, they improve they improve your uh, self driving. They improve you know it's it's a basically giant computer on the wheels. Just like your iPhone gets a little bit better every time they update it, so does Tesla. So that's it, you know, and that's that do actually. You, um, yeah. Vitaly, do you ever have to take the car in for a tune up or an oil change or tire change? I mean, talk me through maintenance. I mean, I'm familiar. Yeah. You know, my my I have a Camry hybrid. Every five thousand miles, synthetic oil change. Yeah. Uh, I know I have to go in for brakes. I know I have to go in for tires. If you have spark plug issues, a cabin filter. What are the apples to apples on this? So basically, you you 
still need to replace tires, unfortunately. But everything else you mentioned, you don't. So because the car basically, it doesn't have many moving parts, and the engine works on an electromagnetic engine, so therefore there's no oil inside. It doesn't have a radiator, uh, so there is no coolant. So basically the car requires very little servicing but maybe just replace you know tires once in a while but even brakes you know you don't you know you don't have to replace brakes i think ever because you use brakes very little um the way you know the the car has a the, you know basically when you let off the gas pedal the uh and I'm just losing, uh, I'm, uh, the word escapes me, but it's, oh, it has a regenerative braking. So what happens basically when the car slows down, the, the engine starts generating electricity and recharges the battery. So therefore, you don't, I don't use, you don't use brakes very much. And so you don't even have to replace, replace brakes. So the cost of ownership of the car, aside from you're gonna save probably thousand to 2,000 miles uh, dollars a year on the gasoline, uh, on, on, you know, on the charging the car, the maintenance costs are very low. In addition to that, the app, you know, the, you know when, you, when you buy the car, you install the app on your iPhone or Android. And if you need service, so I, let me tell you what happened to me. So I, two weeks after my ownership, my speakerphone stopped, stopped working. My speaker stopped working in my car. So I went to the Tesla app, and I was able to, you know, I said I need to schedule an appointment and explain what exactly I needed. And they gave me two options. I can take the car to the service center, or I can have a technician come to me. So I scheduled an appointment, technician came to me, to my work, I gave him the key from the car. An hour later, he gave me the key back, it's, the car was fixed. That was it. Wow. So that's an experience that right now you don't have with any other automaker. Uh, in addition to that, if you think about Tesla, you know, they basically adopted iPhone, um, Apple model from the way they distribute the car. Today, General Motors is basically a wholesaler of its cars to dealerships, right? And the dealerships are basically uh, General Motors franchisees. Tesla decided that it wants to own its, you know, just like Apple, it wants to own its full, you know, basically sales process, service, and hopefully in the future, uh, and, you know, uh, an upgrade process. Not, not an upgrade, but you know, when you turn in your car and get a new car. So, so like, uh, in the in the shopping malls, they have this you know the stores that are the size maybe of what the Apple store used to you know you, you know used to be like, and uh, you go there and they they show you the car. If you want to do a test drive, they have a few cars in the parking lot, and you test drive it. And um, by the way, when I picked up my car, the whole process of doing the paperwork literally took seven minutes. I came at nine forty and I left within ten minutes. Uh, so that you know, they made that process a lot easier as well. So uh, let's take everybody's aggregate experience, and I'm taking, I'm assuming that your purchase was included in the quarterly report that Tesla put out in late July of 2019. I mean, despite a record quarter for deliveries, it's still losing money at a faster than expected rate, kind of hand over fist. Here's a company that um, you know it lost 408 million dollars in the quarter, which is an improvement from the 718 million dollar loss in the year earlier period. Revenue was at 6.35 billion dollars, which is up 60 percent from a year earlier. And if we take just that Model Three, uh, which kind of just blows the mind, um, they had a spike of I think they saw triple the volume from from the year ago period from just the Model Three. I think they sold something like. Uh, 70, it said Tesla produced 73,000 Model 3s, which nearly tripled from a year earlier. The average Model 3 sold for $50,000 in the second quarter. In total, Tesla produced 87,000 vehicles 
in the second quarter. And yet the company is still losing so much money. Vitaly, and this gets to a bigger theme that you and other people in Silicon Valley and in Wall Street wrote about. This seems to be one of those disruptive brands that subsists on financial aid from the capital markets. Whether Elon Musk needs to sell stock, debt, whether Uber needs to go public to you know subsidize this model. You talk about all the food delivery services or WeWork, which is hugely controversial in that the you know the the co-working uh uh, you know, lease arbitrageur in commercial real estate that is just growing and owning swaths of Manhattan and DC and other places. These companies lose a ton of money and they would only exist in a prolonged risk on period of the likes you've seen for the past six or seven years. What about that? So, so, so far, you and I talked about the, the car. And now, so so this is a this is a Vitaly the optimist, you know, kind of. Well, Vitaly, a, the car the car wouldn't exist if you know this company had a brush with bankruptcy. He had to go, you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, he nearly had a nervous breakdown. If the market wasn't willing to lend money and wasn't willing to lend Tesla money and Runway and see it burn through billions of dollars of cash, the Model Three wouldn't exist. I agree with you hundred percent. So the the only reason Tesla exists today because the interest rates are at zero or close to it, and therefore, you know, it can borrow money today at still very low rates, and investors are willing to finance companies that are losing money. So, in the if this car, like let's say, if interest rates were six or eight or ten percent, this car would not be around today. So I uh, this car company, this company would not be around today, and, and actually, nor would the, would the car be. Uh, so I agree with you, and I think the what makes Tesla a difficult investment, that it's a what I would call a path-dependent company. In other words, it's losing, as you mentioned, they're losing a lot of money uh, because making cars, you have a tre- tremendous fixed costs and you need to make a lot of cars to cover these fixed costs. So they're losing a lot of money. And the way you basically can raise money, you know, as a company, you know, so the, then you, as a car company that's losing money, you have, you know, you know, you basically either have to go to equity markets or debt markets. They've gone to debt markets plenty, and uh, and uh, and they've been and uh, now they have to keep raising equity to finance their losses. And it's really a question: Can they get to break even or cash flow positive before capital markets will say enough is enough, or bef- before we go into recession? Or before interest rates rise, before things that they can control happen, and suddenly they can't get uh, the access to capital markets. So, I agree with you 100%. It's a the reason they exist today because the capital markets allowed them to. If they continue to grow and sell a lot more cars, they may be able to get profitability, and then they won't be relying on the kindness of strangers. Well, let me ask you, one of the common metaphors used, especially in value investing and in skeptical investing by institutional Mm -hmm. investors is, how can I kill this company? And I'm not saying it in a sadistic way, but when you're trying to model a worst case scenario, like, Mm -hmm. you know, if a company is not path dependent, if it's not hugely profitable, if it doesn't have a a huge moat and -hmm. margin of safety for its business, you ask the people around you and you get in a Socratic exercise, how do we kill Tesla? What are the different ways Tesla can be killed or can kill itself right now before it reaches that milestone of, of whatever you guys call it, escape velocity, profitability, uh, the tipping point, the Gladwellian tipping point? I mean, there's so many questions out of out of your sprawling essay yeah. that I can't imagine where your mind was when you were driving it from Denver to Santa Fe. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, so the number one, the easiest way to kill it is basically when it can't access to capital money. You know, can't, you know, it's losing money and it needs to raise capital and suddenly its stock price is down 50% and you have to dilute investors a lot. 
Uh, so that's that. Would You're be meaning you have to sell a ton of stock, which is like yeah. your seed corn. You don't want to sell stock. All other things being equal, you want to protect your shareholders. But if you're desperate and if the economy or the situation is spiraling, you sometimes have to subordinate investors. Yeah, that's right. So that would be one way. To, you know, that would be one way uh, for Tesla to die. Another way is that actually I was thinking about this morning. If you think about the Elon Musk. He is Tesla's biggest asset and liability. And I think this is where you talked uh, a little bit about how, on one side, he's the person who probably achieved more in his 40, whatever, seven, eight years old uh, than most of us who achieved in hundreds of lifetimes, right? Because in addition to Tesla, he started PayPal, he started SpaceX that can land a rocket on a barge in the middle of, of the ocean. Um, but but at the same time, if you look at Elon Musk, he uh, he's the person you know he's the person who is uh, micromanages everything. He runs four or five companies. Uh, you know he runs Tesla, SpaceX, uh, Neuralink, Boring Company. I think maybe so. I guess four companies. Um, and uh, if he was to be removed from Tesla tomorrow, I was thinking about it. Would Tesla be in a situation where Apple was in 1986 or 2011? When, you know, when so 86 Jobs, is when Steve Jobs was removed, right? Yeah, 85. Yeah, 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 85, 85 yes. and then it went on. It's, it's really its decade in the desert where uh, by 1997, it was very close to bankruptcy and it took a bailout from Microsoft. But then Steve Jobs comes back in the late 90s and the early aughts and then you have the, the, the complete reinvention of this company. So that's a very valid question you asked in this is if we take him out, is it going to be the beginning of the desert for Tesla or would someone like a, a manufacturing or logistics person completely rationalize this company, uh, start doing things that maybe the, the visionary, uh, you know, head in the sky literally and metaphorically kind of guy wouldn't take care of? Yes. So... And if you think about it, so the in a when Steve Jobs died in 2011, and uh, Apple was actually Apple has done fine. It's not it hasn't been it hasn't been as creative as when it was under Steve Jobs, right? Because after after Steve Jobs you know, died, it, Apple did not really come up with new innovative product, revolutionary category of products, except maybe Apple Watch. But it's it's done phenomenally well as a business, you know, because I think when you know. Uh, when uh, Steve Jobs had an opportunity at that point, first of all, Apple was much stronger financially. Second of all, it had an iPhone, which is an incredibly sticky product. And also, Apple had a very big depth of management and something Tesla doesn't have today. So you are talking about how to kill Tesla. If you think about Tesla, if you look at the... Tesla is losing, uh, is losing uh, upper echelon of management every other week. So it's losing, you know, it's losing its management. I mean, it's a, it's a burn, it's a burnout culture, and many of his memos have leaked. And he himself has given interviews. He cried, I think, to the New York Times. He says he sleeps under his desk on the factory floor. This has been the most brutal ten years of his life. I mean, to to many people, that would be a call to kind of arms, like I'm with you, I'm with the troops in the trenches. We're all in this together. But if you're asking everybody to sacrifice their lives, all in the service of changing the world with the EV that's going to disrupt the internal combustion engine and completely change everything, um, you know, it's, it's for better or for worse. It comes down to one man. And this is, this is the key man risk that you're talking about here. That's and right. this, has shown, this has shown the great promise of Tesla, the agility of it, 
and the kind of the cult of Elon Musk. And it's also shown the great peril. If I take you back to 2018, where he tweeted funding secured to take Seth Tesla yeah. private at you know north of $400 a share, the SEC came back and sanctioned him. And I wonder in reading your essay, what would happen if the SEC demanded a true pound of flesh and said, no, you need to step down as chairman and CEO. You can stay on as a director, but you, you committed a huge boo-boo. I think then then that would be one way to kill Tesla. I think that's I think that's the that's kind of I think Tesla would be in trouble. Also, the one thing you have to understand about Tesla, and this is you you made this point, but I think it's a you really want to stress this. Elon Musk every couple of weeks he comes out and announces announces a new product, okay, uh, and uh, or makes a promise, and he doesn't keep you know. So sometimes some of these promises are almost like when Steve Jobs. You know when uh, when Steve Jobs was a uh, the reality distortion. Field. Yes, thank you, thank you. Some of them are reality distortion field, and some of them are possibly just outright lies. Okay, and but the reason he does this is because he, to finance the company he needs to keep the stock price high. Tesla today it's losing money and it's still it's forty billion dollar market cap company. It's, it's still trading on a dream of, of the future. Okay, so he, here's you know he, here's a very important point. Two years ago Tesla went out and bought Solar City, and Solar, Solar City uh, yes yeah, Solar City was losing money, had a lot of debt and it had a kind of a broken business model. And Tesla if Tesla did not buy Solar City Solar City would have gone bankrupt. The reason Tesla had to buy Solar City because today we look at Elon Musk and we have this kind of Iron Man from Marvel franchise. If Solar City went bankrupt, then that image would have been uh, tarnished. Of uh, didn't of a, didn't a cousin didn't a cousin own? So wasn't he the cousin? I mean, was there nepotism involved in this? I think there was some. It was some of that, but also remember he was the director. You know, he was the director of Solar City. Uh, so and he owned a, a bunch of stocks. So Tesla basically bailed out Solar City, which is hurting Tesla today because Solar City has a lot of debt and it's losing money. And so uh, where is where is the board of this company? I mean, it's a very slippery company to look at from an investment. It's it's one of the most volatile stocks on the market. Anywhere you slice it, it's the most you know it's the most traffic ticker on Twitter or on the chat boards. If you go to Seeking Alpha and other places, it reminds me of kind of you know Cisco Juniper turn of the century internet stock, telco stock stuff. Um, people who are owners who are aspirational owners are all over the stock, and they. You know, my brother said that he really wanted to go out and buy the stock regardless because you feel it. You feel it in that thrust when it goes zero to 60 in three and a half seconds in the, uh, you know, the, the, the credit card shaped keys, the way he could turn it on from the inside, the way it has <laughs> such a fraction of moving parts that he completely becomes intoxicated. And, and you're saying that you too are confused. I mean, it's one thing to be uh, an enthusiast of the product, which is revolutionary, as you're saying in this essay, but the stock is, is a conundrum. It is a conundrum, and I think the and this is kind of conundrum of Tesla is that I can always I can I can give you a bear case and a bull case at the same, at the same breath, you know, and and this is what makes it difficult. Um, so if you ask me where the, where's the board, let me give you this analogy. If you think about Theranos, that uh, that's the company. Theranos, yeah. Ther Theranos, right. Yes, yes, Theranos. Scandal. Yes, uh, it had one of the most prestigious boards you can think of. They, it had two secretaries of, secretaries of state. Uh, Henry Kissinger and uh, George Schultz were both on the board of the company. 
and they looked at uh, Elizabeth Holmes and they loved her to death and she, she thought she, you know, she, they thought she was a genius and therefore they would completely ignore all the problems that happened at the company. So I think board basically does what Musk wants it to do. And uh, so this gets kind of similar in this, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying Tesla is Theranos in the sense that Theranos did not have a you know, real product. But what I'm saying is, when you have this very charismatic leader that is extremely successful, it's very easy for the board basically kind of to let the, you know, that leader do whatever he wants or she wants. And I think that's what exactly what happened with the solar seed acquisition. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Vitaly Katzenelson. He is CEO of value investing shop IMA. He's joining us from Denver. Um, just sharing uh, a little preview of this upcoming massive treatise he wrote on the uh, the enigma of Tesla. You as a new Tesla Model 3 owner are completely breathless, and you are so breathless about it that you get home every day and start pounding out six or seven more pages of what's morphing into a book or a series of chapters or articles for Market Watch or Fortune. I'm sure one of them is going to pounce on it. But yet we're also stepping back and saying that this is this story of disruption is fraught with risks and hyperbole and things that just don't add up, like you were talking about Solar City. I do want to quote from your essays because I love how you know you're a you're a thoughtful father. You're thinking back to history and the different things that went the other way. Um, you're saying that uh, electronic uh, electric vehicle charging, EV charging, will be the next gold rush, and traditional gas stations will go in the same section of history books as technologies that we have a hard time explaining to our kids, like phone booths, cassette tapes, flip phones, horse stables. The transition from internal combustion gasoline cars to EVs is a bit like the transition our ancestors went through when society switched from horses to cars. At first, people were wondering how they were going to, quote, feed these cars. It was a lot easier to find grass than gasoline. Would they have enough decent roads to actually drive anywhere? And would cars be crashing into pedestrians and each other? It is obvious to us now that transitioning from horses to cars required a very different type of thinking, a completely new paradigm. And further, you say the domain of horses came with an ecosystem that was simply not applicable when we switched to the domain of cars. Even though both performed the same function, horses got people and goods from point A to point B. Internal combustion technology was fundamentally different, and so was the ecosystem. I imagine that the 110,000 gas stations that keep our gasoline cars humming along today will look like a rounding error when we count up the millions of electric, quote, filling stations that will be located in our garages and parking lots. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so they, yes, as you mentioned, they, there's 110,000 gas stations. So when, when, you, when you think about charging a car or, you know, you think about gas stations, right? And obviously it takes you, what, three to five minutes maybe to, uh, to put gasoline in your car. It takes longer, you know, it takes longer, maybe 20 to 30 minutes to 40 minutes to uh, fully charge uh, an electric car. But I think when we think about it this way, like if you think about, oh, we're going to go to gas stations, there'll be lines at the gas stations. We are in the wrong domain. We are in the kind of in a wrong type of thinking because it's a very different technology. And uh, we don't have to be constrained by the limitations of the uh, kind of old domain. Uh, because it, you know, if you think about a gas station, you have a tank that's 20,000 gallons of you know, tank that's buried in the ground, and you have, I don't know, six or eight you know, uh, pumps at the gas station. So the cost of opening a gas station is probably a million dollars. The cost of basically build out you know, electrical net, uh, charging network 
the, you know, let's say one pump, like electrical pump, is maybe two or three or four. And hold on, hours. hold on, because I want to quote this from the essay. This was the thing that stood out to me the most, and I was like, you know what? I'm just about to quit journalism and go out and build this. I'm going to quote from your essay. I can see the following business model emerge. Let's say you spend two thousand dollars per parking stall for equipment and getting it wired. You make ten dollars of gross profit per hour. You pay a third to the parking lot owner. You get to keep seven dollars. Let's say each stall is utilized five hours a day. That's $12,000 a year per stall in pre-tax profit or a six-time return on your investment. Yes. So, so did you kind of crunch all these things while you were driving on the no, West? I, I, I ride early in the morning, so I, <laughs> it was at 5 o'clock in the morning or something. Uh, so, so, but Vitaly, uh, what, I mean, this is the jump ball, all that infrastructure that's there. Uh, that, you know, I go to NPR headquarters in D.C., and you have... Charging stations, you have new LED certified buildings or new malls, whether or not Mm -hmm. they have a Tesla dealership, because a Tesla is a luxury aspirational vehicle, they have charging stations. You go to that newfangled Delaware rest stop, you know, just uh, south of New Jersey that looks like an airport. Um, They have all these, this Tesla infrastructure there. Um, How do you think, who's going to step up to kind of uh, backwards fill into this technology? Do you see... Um, convenience stores doing it? Do you see kind of dying malls doing it? What are some of the things that are actionable regardless of of, of Tesla's financial future? So let's say, uh, so the two-thirds of Americans live in a house. Uh, own a house. house. Well, well, we all live somewhere, but two-thirds of Americans own a house. So I assume probably most of them have a garage. So first of all, a lot of them, like me, would be charging their car on a daily basis in the garage. But let's say you live in an apartment and you don't have a garage, and so you have to charge your car somewhere. Most of us go to a grocery store a few times a week. So when you go to a grocery store, you probably spend about maybe 20 to 30 minutes at the store. So on the you know, so you're gonna have these electrical stalls at the in the parking lots of grocery stores. You come to this, you know, you come to the store, you plug the car in, you go shopping, you come back, it's charged. It takes no time from you, and you're probably gonna have an app, and you're probably gonna have a companies that's going to build out these huge networks and you're going to have a app A customer or like you have a today, you have a Conica customer or Exxon customer. You're going to have a whatever the brands are going to be. And so you're going to have this, if you're a grocery, if you're, if, if one grocery retailer has those stalls and the other one doesn't, you'll be going to the one that has those stalls because that's going to be more convenient for you as an AV owner. And so, for therefore, it's going to force another grocery retailer to have those stalls as well. And so you're going to have them everywhere because they really, the you, electricity is a lot more ubiquitous than gasoline. And it's, you know, everywhere you go, there is, there is electricity. So the cost as a, you know, to build out those stalls is going to be minimal. And also, it's, it is going to be gold rush because return investment is going to be great. And in, in the long run, in the long run, you and I will benefit because the you know the, you know the, the it's going to drive the prices lower. So whoever you know you know it's a commodity. So whoever provides the most convenient and the cheapest service will win. Um, so in the you know in the in the so today we have 110,000 gas stations. I think in the future we're going to have a millions charging stations across the country. Including the millions, you know, millions uh, you're gonna have in each house. 
You know, I, I, I keep seeing um, stock jockeys in the market romance this idea of some sort of magical merger of the two most kind of product-lusty companies in technology in the United States, namely Apple and Tesla. Have you ever given that a second look? I mean, Apple cars, the Project Triton, whatever it is, that seems to be hesitating back and forth. Uh, many people out there say that Apple should just concentrate on its, um, you know, uh, the, the platform in vehicles, the Apple Car platform, and don't have to reinvent the whole car, if you will. Um, what do you think? Do you think there's any validity? It's clearly a company with a ton of cash, a ton of runway. It could solve a lot of things for Tesla, but it poses many hurdles unto itself. Yeah, so I think Tesla, so the, the reason I bought the car, because at first I was worried that Tesla may actually go bankrupt. And if it does, then who's going to service my car, etc. But when I, when I realized that you know, if the stock price collapses, somebody will buy them. It could, could be Apple, Google, or Toyota for all I care. And for them, there is going to be tremendous value because if you think about it, you know, just not just from the Apple perspective or, or even from Apple perspective, for them to build an electric car, they're going to have to sustain a huge amount of losses at first because it's a, it's a very high fixed-cost business and you need to be able to, to get to... Uh, to get profitability, you need to get to scale. And it takes a lot of losses to get to scale. I think uh, Volkswagen said they're going to invest $30 billion into electric cars. That basically means that they're going to be not just investing money in R&D, but also sustaining losses. Because if you, if you think about it, today, every car company that's building cars, electric cars, losing money on them. So I can see Apple buying them. I can see, I can see Google or anybody else, you know, Toyota for all that care, buying them, you know, as well. It probably may not be at today's price, but you know, if they struggle and this, you know, and the stock price declines enough, uh, then I can see how they'll get bailed out uh, eventually. Are, are you impressed at all that any of these incumbents could make a go at it? Because by itself, the you know, the the, the and and we had Michael Bohr of Carlots on talking about the existential threat generationally that maybe people want to subscribe to cars or maybe self-driving cars are going to disrupt this. All the automakers are kind of on on alert right now. Sedan sales have plummeted. So do you see any of them that has a kind of a viable, profitable, desirable EV in the pipeline? Yeah, so the uh, couple of thoughts on this. Uh, I, I haven't driven them, but I saw reviews of uh, Jaguar I-Pace and uh, Chevy Bolt. And uh, both reviews said... The car drives well, and that's because of the you know design of the engine, really, which is just really going from a electric gasoline to electric. Um, but the software felt uh, very kind of gasoline kind of car design. So it's basically the you know where they struggled. You know they still so a lot of these cars are still they you know they drive well, but they but they feel like they've been like Nokia tried to put the Symbian software on a dumb phone. That's kind of what they're doing. So I think for these cars to create a successful EV is going to be very difficult. Some of them will do a great job. Some of them will struggle. And the reason they'll struggle because it requires different skill set. It requires an ability to suffer. And uh, if I may, there is An ability to suffer, a pain yes. threshold. Yes, yes, because they're going to have to lose a lot of money first because they will be losing money. Every EV they sell, they'll be losing money on that. And a lot of these companies are owned by shareholders that are attracted for stability of cash flows for the dividend. And therefore, they may not have the pain tolerance it would take to actually 
to build out the infrastructure to build. Well, it's in, it's interesting that by 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 corollary, Tesla shareholders must be masochists because they get these huge numbers on losses. I mean, the you know four hundred and sixty million dollar loss, even though shipments have spiked, and then you see the stock surge twenty percent overnight. You, it is kind of asymmetric warfare. To your point here, is that GM and Ford and Toyota and Volkswagen and Daimler. And BMW, they are they are mature car companies. They're measured on their cash flow, on their free cash flow, on their dividend payout, on their stock repurchases, on their pension obligations. And these are things that, that the markers and, and rulers that do not apply to Elon Musk and Tesla. Just the same way it doesn't apply to Amazon, right? Because in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in my write-up, I talk about Amazon. Yeah, Amazon is not measured in terms of same-store sales. I mean, is Amazon a retailer? Is it a cloud company? Is it a tech company? He has his own reality distortion force field, or I, I would say he has a, a pass from Wall Street. And Elon Musk certainly has a pass right now to the extent he's still able to go to Wall Street and sell stock and sell debt and subsidize this company. But when we step back from all of it, and we have a few minutes mm. left with you, are we going to look back at Tesla, say 10 years hence? You know, you and I were recently driving uh, by the Potomac River talking about internal combustion vehicles and the future of this. Will this have been the technology that kind of tipped us into the future? Do you believe Tesla is going to be the flagship automaker in 10 years, or do you see something maybe coming out of left field or somebody else beating it to the punch? So when I sat down to write it, to write that essay, I thought, yeah, I was, actually, I was a lot more bearish than bullish, I'll be honest. And I've been, as I've been doing research and thinking a lot more about this, I realized I can see how, I can see probability. I don't know what it is, 10 to maybe 30% probability. I, I don't know yet what the probability yet that Tesla will be Incredibly successful, uh, and I, but I can also see I can also see maybe even higher probability is that it's may you know it's something you know some external factor happens we go into recession interest rate spike whatever and uh, the stock price decline the stock price decline and somebody buys them out and so as an investment it will not work out but you know what for from our perspective Tesla has traumatically changed the uh, the automotive industry it's 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 just it had the same impact on the cars the same way uh, iPhone had impact on a on, on, on cell phones uh, and that's genius out of the bottle so I think there is a they do have a, some significant competitive advantages where they be able to become incredibly successful but it's too early to tell you know, I'm going to hold your hand to the fire, let's say in five or ten years when I am sure. the biggest, biggest show on public radio. I'm internationally renowned. I have maybe ten Peabody Awards, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. I have my own Broadway show and a restaurant chain, a Persian restaurant chain. And you'll knock on my door and say, hey, let's go revisit that uh, Tesla call from the year 2019. Thank you, Vitaly Katzenelson. Um, I really enjoy your byline. I love how thoughtful you are. A lot of people just go in, investors, and they punch it in. They do it from kind of 8.30 to 5, but you come back home and, and you write these enormous essays and, and post them with classical music. Uh, definitely check us out. Will you give us your uh, investing audio article website? It's investor.fm. And your Twitter handle? Uh, Vitaly, V-I-T-A-L-I-Y-K, letter K. Vitaly Katzenelson, CEO of IMA USA on Tesla and all things EV. I cannot thank you enough, sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Robin. Full disclosure, this show airs on NPR member station VPM News 88.9 on the NPR One app and, of course, on Apple Podcasts. 
at linkfulldradio.com. We are range confident, no maintenance, bleeding red ink, funding never secured, but tweeting like we're rich. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week. Ooh,